When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos. 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 Ah, yes, Tom Brenneman starting off today's podcast talking to us about Castellanos, but not Nick Castellanos, who we hope will sign with the Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> And we hope that the Phillies will just do something, anything at all. Anything. Talking about Valentin Castellanos, who is suspended for Sunday's Major League Soccer Eastern Conference Final, which will be played at Subaru Park in Chester. As I look outside, I see pigs flying. I see that hell has frozen over because the Philadelphia Union are one game away from going to MLS Cup. And I can't believe it, but I should believe it. And I want to believe it. And believing it with me, I hope returning to the podcast for a second time, a friend of the program and one of my old school original podcasting partners, radio partners, it's Richard McGovern. Hey, man. What's going on? Yeah, man. It was, it was so long ago. We were on terrestrial radio. Yes, that's right. I, you know, I was trying to think. I was trying to remember uh, what the World Soccer Show was on. Was it on like eight, uh, 800 like WD, WWDB? Or, it was uh, WWDB, yeah, yeah, up on the hill over in uh, Bryn Mawr. Bryn Mawr, right. Yeah. Uh, the great Eric Nash uh, allowed us to come on there. Simon Allen, who became a contributor to this program, uh, was originally part of that radio show at the same time. So it's always soccer in Philadelphia has roots in terrestrial radio. And everybody knows how much I love radio around here. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, You are the soccer Joe Rogan of Philadelphia. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you. I, uh, how do I take that now? I'm not really now, I'm sure. I'm not sure how if to that's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but listen, I can't believe it, man. You know, I, I am I am a Sons of Ben OG. I am a Philadelphia Union OG. I mean, my my apartment, uh, which was my wife's apartment, is the uh, was the original mailing address for the Sons of Ben. So we've been suffering for over a decade <laughs> waiting for this moment. It finally happened. So are, are they going to do it, man? I mean, this could not. This could not have worked. Like, I'm seriously. It I was trying to break any better. No, it, it could really not have. It, it could not. And I did. I did the story for Crossing Broad. And everybody knows it when I write for CB. When I do union stuff for CB, I try to keep it more generic because I'm not writing for you guys. I'm writing for, uh, you know, a generic like more four for four crowd. So I explain, you know, like how how it all works out and why the seating is the way it is. And I'm, I was trying to think of like a cross sport comparison, and I'm, I'm like, this is like the Philadelphia Flyers being the seven seed and getting the eight seed. Montreal Canadiens like 10 years ago, you know, and like all the good yeah, teams so, getting like getting like knocked out or it, it could not have worked out any better. Well, even the matchups, I mean, it is the best. I mean, I, I kind of wanted the revs on some level just because I want, you know, you want to, you're with the one seed, you're the two seed, you want to take on the one seed. But as far as matchups go, what, what was in, what was available to us, New York, we, we can take New York. Sean Johnson is not clutch. Uh, anybody who remembers Olympic qualifiers back in Nashville a couple of years ago remembers that. 
Um, the injuries to Castellanos, as you discussed, uh, their backup right back is injured now with Tinnerholm out with the Achilles to begin with. Mm-hmm. James Sands has not been the same player since he came back from uh, the uh, from the qualifying window. Um, this is a team that the Union offense can exploit. They can spread them out and they can hammer at them, such as the Union offense is. And this a is hammer. a hammer. They out. are a hammer. Yeah, <laughs> they're a block. <laughs> Hammering the ball ten yards over the. Yeah. And, you know, and, and without Castellanos, they, they just don't have that difference making player up front. They got guys who have flashes of it, but they don't have that constant threat. And, uh, you know, the guy who can turn the game, you know, in one moment. And that's, uh, you know, that's a huge gain for, for the union there with Castellanos out. I, you know, I was saying this when we looked at the bracket, when the bracket came out, I just liked the side, the, the side that the union were on in general. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, Orlando had a crappy defense. Nashville had was 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 beatable, um, good, but not world beaters. New York, I knew that they could handle if they if they got the job done. I was always worried more about the New England, New York side of it for sure. But I look at the totality of this now. New England's out. Colorado's out. Seattle's out. Kansas City's out. Like I, I'm, I'm not. I I got to go look at the books. Maybe I should pull it up right now because I got three computers in front of me, three computer screens. <laughs> But I, the, the odds for the union to win MLS have you have you seen odds out there for for uh, plus two fifty right now I think for the union to win it all for the union to win it all yeah if I was a betting man and I am a betting man um, but I don't know if you're supposed to bet against your team I don't know is the union my team or am I just a podcast host I don't know I put money I I basically put money against on, on the team who's playing West Virginia every week so that I can't be disappointed right so either we win or I make some money off of it but um. It could not have broken any better for them. Let's back it up though and kind of go. Let's let's back up to Nashville first. And um, I just have loose notes here. I, I don't really. I didn't write any like a. So normally, what happens is we when we do the post game show on the Gambler, I kind of like write out a bunch of stuff like Ray Dinger, and mm-hmm. then I like kind of refer to that. I didn't do that because we got bumped for Villanova, right? We didn't have a, a post game. Oh, show. I know. I was trying to get it in the parking lot. I couldn't. Uh... I should have told everybody. Yeah, I thought I mentioned that to everybody, but I forgot. So I'm sorry if you turned it on and, and you heard Villanova instead. Um, but I, I just, I, uh, you know, watching back the Nashville highlights. Now I feel very similar to how I did with Red Bull. And it's the same damn thing we've been saying about this team for the, for the last five or six games, you know, offensively, they're doing jack shit right now. Mm -hmm. Um, defensively, they're always going to be difficult to beat. I thought that there were some little marginal things in this game that bothered me, like set pieces where they let Jack Elliott come up and take a set piece. Jamiro hit a bunch of crappy set pieces too. And just like, you know, I feel like these little small moments where they're fluffing chances against New York and Nashville, you know, they're wasting these set pieces by letting anybody take them or they're not getting quality on them. Like those are those kind of small, like marginal value kind of things that are kind of going to come back to bite you in the ass in the, in the yeah. conference final and the final, if you get there. And I just felt like, I feel like some of that wasteful stuff needs to be cleaned up and they just need to more be, to be more clinical in those spots that matter. No, absolutely. I mean, it- Philly and New York, uh, you said it too in your, uh, when you were talking with Fishkin before uh, the New York game. They're mirror images of each other, almost exactly. Nashville is built very similar to Philadelphia as well, except they have a difference-making striker. They have yeah. Mukhtar. Uh, you know, I would, as much as I hate Mukhtar, I would kill to have somebody like him on Philadelphia. I absolutely would. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it's exactly right what you're saying. The, the strategy the union pursues normally of going and crossing the ball in the air into the box Nashville will take that all day because Walker Zimmerman's going to eat it up. 
And you saw that the only time they were able to score was when there was a scrum on the ground. And since, uh, since selling Aronson, they just haven't been able to move the yeah. ball on the ground feet to feet in a dangerous area. They just haven't. Well, let's call um, it, let's call it what it is. And I'm sorry to interrupt. I'll let yeah. you finish oh, it. After I, after I make this point, the unions scored a bullshit goal. Oh yeah. The other night. Um, it was a terrible set piece in. I hate outswingers into the box. The only reason that bounced is because Shabilko got close enough to it and Elliot got close enough to it that they were able to knock it down. The first shot from Gosh Dog is blocked. That should have been cleared by Nashville, the second ball bouncing up in the air like that. So they were lucky to score. Um, you know, you can't be reliant on and I guess the point I'd be I would be trying to make is you can't be reliant on scoring greasy goals like that. No, absolutely and you, can't, not. and you can't be reliant on Jacob Glesson's 123rd minute bangers. No, what you need to be relied relying on is Santos actually putting the ball in the net instead of just left. He was completely off in that game. And you talk about you know, sloppy with the small details. Santos mentally, I mean, I'm, uh, my seat's um, 20 feet behind behind the goal there. They were attacking. I see you on TV. I saw you on TV yeah. on both games. Yeah, you guys are great on TV, by the way. The whole Suns <laughs> event section looked great. Yeah. It, it, it was a hell of an experience. But, uh, but yeah, Santos, he, he wasn't right. He wasn't, you know, after that first miss, it just wasn't there. And going back to your set pieces, why anybody except for Kai Wagner is taking set pieces for this yes. team, I have no idea. Every, every, all, listen, Rick, all set pieces are sacred. Mm-hmm. And maybe I look That's at center it. center back talking clearly. Well, I was just about to say that you read my mind because every time I got to walk my ass 70 yards up there in Northeast Philly in the Casa League at like 8 a.m., I was like, you better make this worth it. Right. But it's not, it's not just about, what an individual has to do to go through it. You, you only have a finite amount of those set pieces. Per, how many of those do you get per game? Like you can't yeah. have Jack Elliott taking one just because he squibbled in a double bouncer a couple games ago and got lucky. Exactly. Ka- Ka- exactly what I was thinking was that, uh, was that Curtin put him in there because it was literally the same spot on the field he scored from once, but that was the ugliest set piece. Ever no, no here, here's, here's the new rules. Okay. We're Dua Lipa here. We're laying out the new rules. Um, <laughs> every free kick that's like straight on inside the posts, um, within Jacob Glesnus's range, he needs to hammer it. Yeah, hammer the fuck out of every one of those. Every single one that's on an angle, I want Kai Wagner taking it. Okay, mm-hmm. I want Kai Wagner taking the corner kicks, right? But if you care, if they, and they do game plan for in swingers and out swingers based on who they're playing and what kind yeah. of what kind of marking scheme they get. If you want to hit in swingers or out swingers with a right footed guy, then Gosh Dog is taking them for me. I don't want. Jamiro Montero within a hundred yards of a dead ball. No, absolutely. I, I don't, mean, and I don't, and I don't want. You know, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, it. yeah, no, it, and it's it's like it's that's what I'm saying. It's it's marginal stuff like that that you just you're just squabbling. And um, well, let me take it. Let me segue it into this then. Beyond that, I don't want Sergio anywhere near a penalty kick. You know, absolutely. I love I love the fact that Jim had Jack Elliott go first, and then Jack McGlynn with the ice in my veins, stone cold man, massive cojones on an eighteen year old. But I, how how can you put like Sergio like seeing what you just saw for the thirty minutes before that Sergio Santos shouldn't have been anywhere near that. Like in hindsight, I go Elliott, Kai Wagner maybe takes one. I let Glessness mm-hmm. I let Glessness take one. I don't want I don't want Corey Burke or Sergio Santos anywhere near a penalty. No, absolutely. I think I think they got lucky with that. Mm-hmm. No, I mean that's not their. I mean, even if, even if Santos is hot, even if he's even if somehow he scores one of those two, and then you wind up in penalties, that's not his game. His game is stretching the defense and creating yeah. these big openings. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I put I put uh, Shabilko 
up before I put uh, any of the strikers on the oh, team. Oh, I wouldn't yeah. even have him shooting in the first three. Okay, so a lot of questions. I solicited for questions this week, a lot of stuff about the strikers. And look, here's the thing. I still go back to my philosophy. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Jim's not going to do it anyway because that's not who he is. He's going to play conservative. He's going to set up defensively. Here's here's how I would change it going forward. You still come out in your Christmas tree, 4-3-2-1. Shabilko up top, Jamiro, Gosh Dog, the three behind him. We can talk about Alvis Powell or Olivier and Baizo. I, I like, you know, Powell's been good, but he also fell asleep kind of ball watching on the goal that they gave up. So let's say that those guys are kind of a wash. Um, yeah. What I would do is we know they're going to go from Christmas tree to 4-4-2. They're going to bring Sergio on. They're going to stretch the field. What I would do is I would be quicker with the hook on Shabilko. Mm-hmm. And I'd get Corey Burke in a lot earlier than they did before because he's the same route one direct like bulldozer kind of dude who's creating stuff out of nothing. Whereas if Shabilko is not finishing, you know, he's not doing anything else well. So at least Corey's creating stuff by just like winning aerial duels and Sergio stretching the field and stuff like that. And even if those guys can't hit the broad side of a bar and finishing, Shabilko isn't even getting close to the barn in the first place. Shabilko isn't doing, I mean, I was watching him during the Nashville game and I just, I did not see him doing anything. He was occupying space. And most of the time, it wasn't even the right space. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I would start with him just because it wears down the defense a little bit with his size. But beyond that, yeah, I would I would give him the hook around the 60th minute and switch over to the 4-4-2 diamond at that point. You know what you he's know? like? You know what he's like? This is a dumb comparison. He reminds me now of the new trend in baseball where you have like an opener. Mm-hmm. You know, like you throw him out there knowing you just got to get through a certain amount of minutes with them. And then you like kind of know you're going to win the game in the second half. Is that is that weird to say? No, that that's a that's a good comparison. And the thing of it is, um, the, the thing of it is, you only use that strategy if you don't have a decent starter. If they had a decent striker, they wouldn't need to use that strategy. I think Curtin probably visualizes it more like change of pace backs where you put out uh, yeah. where you put out. Uh, Shabilko, and then you bring in the two, and it's like you know running uh, Tiki Barber off of Ron Dane. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're going deep here with some comparisons, but that's good <laughs> stuff, man. Listen, um, <clears throat> I think that the thing that's the the complication too that makes it different than the regular season is because you know that like how many of these these MLS playoff games this year have gone to 120 minutes. You know, so really, if you think about it, it's not like giving Shabilko his 60 and giving Sergio his 30. It's like giving each of them their 60, you know, so that even kind of justifies it a little bit more to me. But I just would have been like, I just feel like he was sitting on the subs for too long the other night, you know, where it's like you oh, got. Absolutely. I, re- I remember looking at looking at the board and seeing how many subs they have. Like, wait, they're they're, they're into overtime and they've only used one sub and that was due to an injury, you know, Um. You know, what really concerns me with, with the number of minutes the unions have been playing is Bedoya. Because I don't think Bedoya is the kind of guy who wants to come off. He certainly, uh, Curtin doesn't want to bring him off. Yeah. But, you know, but is he at this point going to be fit to go 90 minutes in this game coming off? I mean, he was dragging his leg at the end of the Nashville game. Yeah, and we had talked about that a lot this year where a lot of fan observations was he just doesn't look – he looks like he's a step slow to everything. I don't know how many times this year where Ali has like looked like he's going into what, what appears to be a 50-50. Yeah, and, and he just doesn't get there. He's just like one step late every single time. Like if it hits the, kicks the guy in the leg afterwards or just – 
you know, I, I think he's hit a bunch of those like low crosses in from the right that just get easily kind of blocked and cleared out of there. And, um, you know, we talked about like the more macro level problem of like, if you're going to, if you're going to run Leon flock on the other side mm-hmm. and Ali's not offensively what he used to be during the Keegan Rosenberry and Harris Madunian in and El Senior days, then you're really not getting anything going forward from either of the shuttlers. And you know, you're not getting anything from Shabilko either. So what you get is Jameer Montero doing that goddamn rollback on his right foot um, over and over and over again. And if people feel like I'm being harsh on Jameer, it's true, but because I, I hold him to a higher, a higher standard because oh, I think he, I think yeah. he was awesome last year playing as a number eight, but he like, he, he like has this like, like kind of like hitch it's it's almost like a like a habitual thing where it's like he gets on the ball and if he if that first pass isn't there he's got to roll it back he's got to kind of dance around and move it backwards a little bit sometimes i wish he would just be less i think i think those are what i would call kind of empty movements on the ball because they aren't really serving any purpose he's not really in any imminent danger he doesn't have to roll it back he doesn't have to spin around he doesn't have to do a beck and back like he can just kind of hold it there you know but i but i feel like he's he's been that's been exacerbated because he feels like he's got to take it on him to to do a lot because the other guys around him aren't you know no you're absolutely right and you see that you know when when you look at like higher level leagues you'll see moves like that but they're trying to open up space for other players to run off the ball yeah and the union is either don't have the players to do that or or the players simply don't i see a world of difference between when montero is playing with you know shabilko or uh, you know, uh, your standard MLS player. Yeah. And when he's working off of Gajdok, the two of them have had some moments where they really connect. But again, they're playing at a slightly higher level. They're coming from a slightly higher level. And that interaction is quicker. The, sh- the passes are sharper. You don't see him making that move when he's going to Gajdok. You see him making that move when he's going to McGlynn, when he's going to Shabilko. Um, and also, I just think I, it's hard to say with the playoffs, but I think there was a large part of the season where Montero just didn't care. And there, there uh, was, yeah, with that that whole thing with him getting subbed off, and yeah, and and yeah. you could see the difference in his effort year versus year. In a perfect world, you'd be pulling Bedoya in the 60th minute and bringing Flock on, yeah, or bringing McGlynn on, yeah. But I, I think it's like a Roy Kent situation. I just don't think you're going to get Bedoya off the pitch. <laughs> so far, we've mentioned Tiki Barber. Ron Dane, uh, Roy Kent, Nick Castellanos. Um, I just want to give a shout out to because Baxter just made an appearance on the Zoom, and I know people can't see it, but Baxter was a big part of the crew early in the uh, Baxter. Yeah, always soccer. Yeah, he, but he he did make an appearance here. He's still around. I wanted everybody to know that. Um, Shabilko, does it does it look to you like he's half assing it out there? Like it I swear looks to like God, somebody he erased the part of his mind that was doing the stuff he was doing two years ago. Exactly. Like I'm not crazy, right? Like two years ago, he used to come out. He used to get, look for the ball, get on it. He would kind of like bring it out. He would turn. Tough yeah. guy to dispossess. Guys would get forward. Like like is he just like what? He I feel like he's just walking around up there. You know, I was watching. I was watching the New England New York game last night, and I was I was looking at Buxas, uh, 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 Buxa. That's yeah, I called him a stiff last year, and then he scored like three goals down the stretch. But I'm like, could we trade polls, please? Because Buxo in this offense right now. <laughs> yeah, he looks really good. Yeah, I mean, like if I could pick one striker in the world for the union to bring in, realistically, I'd bring in Weghorst, who is a functional version of Shabilko and a yeah. higher level of Buxo. Where is he? Um, is he at Wolfsburg still? Wolfsburg, yeah. yeah Although yeah. he's probably going to move in January. 
But, you know, has has size, can hold up the ball a little, can go back and get the ball a little, can run with it, can pass, you know, but but can use his size. And that's what we saw from Shabilko two years ago. I mean, you remember they brought him in at the end uh, when they thought they were going to there was a chance of going to Champions League. And we all thought he was just filler for that. Comes in, wins the job out of training camp mm-hmm. off of CJ, I think. God help us. And, uh, you know, he had one really good year, got the new contract, and he's just been coasting off that. I don't know if it's lack of effort or if his brain just forgot how to play the position. What's uh, Adam Maher doing right now? You know, I honestly don't know. He it's been a while since the- I mentioned him. <laughs> he fell off the face of the earth, although I will tell you that yeah. Ernst Tanner did lie to me. Not Ernst Tanner, Ernie Stewart yeah. did lie to my face about Adam Maher because he said Ajax never made a bid to PSV for him. And I know for a fact Ajax did. So, mm, so Ernie's Ernie's lying. That's the, I know he told another lie when he said that the, the team can't learn a formation other than the 4-2-3-1, you know? <laughs> Well, they did. What do you? Clearly, they did. Is um, it is it funny to you that that Andre Blake was once uh, pulled for a shootout? <laughs> I think the entire story of Andre Blake is just absolutely hilarious. Um, you know, you you had a high draft pick in Zach McMath in goal at the time. You draft, you trade up to draft Andre Blake number one overall. Zach McMath at that moment storms out of the uh, out of the uh, convention room. Yeah, and I actually saw him screaming at his agent at that moment. Then you bring in um, Rice and Bowley. You don't trade Andre. The times you could have traded Andre or sold him over to Europe, he winds up getting injured in international competition every time, and yeah. so he winds up still with the Union, getting pulled for a guy from North Catholic. Uh, in in a uh, penalty shootout in a bust wing game, and I say that as somebody who used to work at Archbishop Bryant, so I can say that. Oh, um, and it, yeah, it, it's absolutely nuts the journey that Blake has been on, especially from that shootout until last night. Um, and, and you know, it's it was absolutely astounding. I've never seen a keeper flat out win uh, a shootout for their team the way Blake did. The only guy I can compare it to is Tim Kroll back in like. 2014 the uh let's do some revisionist history here because i mentioned on twitter the other night that when jim Curtin pulled andre off the field to insert lord helmet john mccarthy uh in the 2015 u.s open cup final i remember some some gripes for sure there was a bunch of gripes but i i didn't overwhelmingly feel like a, a a, a majority of union, a significant majority of union fans hated that move because I feel like they were just like, you know, John McCarthy had a really good run with penalty saves in the open cup that year where they felt like it was, uh, you know, you could at least understand why they did it. Do you, do you remember that the same way I do? Yeah. And I felt that way. I mean, I think most people would have been fine if they hadn't started Andre in that game. If you remember, yeah. The reason McCarthy got the run in the Open Cup was because Andre made it to the finals of the Gold Cup and got injured. The Gold Cup finals were in Philadelphia. Um, And he came, he didn't play in the Gold Cup. He came back, I think, in the semifinals of the Open Cup. And, uh, you know, as you said, um, McCarthy had made a number of key saves and key penalty saves. Um, you know, if he had started over Andre in the semifinals and the final, I think people would have been fine with it. Um, the reason people 
didn't like the poll was because Union lost. Well, that and my I remember the the complimentary like one B to that one A of my take at the time was that I would have felt a lot more um I would have been a lot more against the move if they had if they left somebody on the bench who absolutely had to be on the fucking field. Yeah. And when you go back and look at it, they subbed John McCarthy on 120, right? They brought Connor Casey on in the 77th for Chaco. Um, they brought Andrew Wenger on in 116. And the uh, the only other offensive sub they had on the bench was Eric Ayuk. So in, in hindsight here, we go back and say you would rather have Andre finish the game and do penalties at the with at which would allow you to make Ayuk your third sub. You know, is Eric Ayuk changing the game at that point? You know, it was kind of the same thing that they had with the Open Cup the year before because Seattle was bringing Pineda and Martins and Dempsey and whoever else off the bench, and the, and the Union had Pedro Ribeiro. Ah, uh, you know? Pedro. Yeah. So that was that was always to me like the. I think part of the complaint point. too, and I don't mean to keep going back to the Dutch, but I do think it's relevant. <laughs> um, I think part of the thing was that was the same summer that um, Jasper Sillison got pulled in a shootout for Tim Krull, and yeah. it did work for the Dutch in two separate games. Yeah, And I think people thought Curtin saw that, and he was outsmarting himself because, you know, John McCarthy is not Tim Krull, and Andre Blake is not Jasper Sillison. So when it doesn't work out, it's, oh, Tim uh, or Jim saw that and thought, oh, I should do that too. You know, he outsmarted himself there. Honestly, the those union teams, they never had enough coming off the bench to be able to compete in those finals. Yeah, yeah. Um and the the if you would do that now, the goalkeeper sub would be much more palatable because you have the five. You know, now mm-hmm. you're not thinking that thirty three percent of my subs was backup goalkeeper, right? So um I have three more for you, two quick ones and then a macro we'll end it on a macro one. Um Alvis Powell or Olivier Mbizo, assuming Mbizo is cleared to play, who's starting for you? Against New York, Mbizo. Uh, this is a New York team that plays all their home games in a small pitch. They're used to cluttering up the midfield. So you're going to want to stretch as much as possible. Uh, the Union does, uh, doesn't have wingers. They don't have a guy on the team except maybe McGlynn or Sullivan that can play as a winger. They don't have the speed on the outside, so you bring in Mbizo. You stretch the pitch as much as possible, especially going against a depleted uh, New York defense that doesn't have outside backs in depth. What's your gut telling you about what New York does without Castellanos? Do they put Tajuri Shradi up top or do they try something different? I think they move him up top and they bring in Zalalem in the midfield right behind him. Um, and finally, we'll end it on this one. I like to go macros. You know, I love talking about big overarching fan type of broader topics. Um, is it uh, funny to you that, of course, the Eagles and the Union – are playing at the same time. Well, not at the same time, but they will be on TV at the same time on Sunday. <laughs> playing a New York team too. Yeah, yeah, Jets and NYC. Yeah, I mean, what do you, what do you you know? Tan and Wild was like arguing with people all morning. I think um, justifiably so, perhaps. But uh, I, I, I just looked at it and like I laughed. I'm like, oh, of course. You know, it's like the Union finally gaining some momentum. I don't know how much overlap there is among the hardcore Eagles fan and the hardcore Union fan or whatever. But uh, for me selfishly i gotta write the eagles game so like of course i would like for them to be separated it just seems like generally too it's like suicidal on the surface to go up against the nfl regardless but there are there are there are no it's like what what what's the alternative you go up against college football on saturday or you go up against like 
the NBA and NHL on another night. It's like it doesn't seem like they're saying there's a perfect Sunday slot. afternoon. The Union are going to have just under twenty thousand in the stadium, and when they win and the Eagles lose, the news is going to be one Philadelphia team is going to uh, going to uh, play for a trophy, and the other one should they keep diving for a draft pick or not. <laughs> That's what uh, that's what I take that's, out of this. That's just yeah, it's true. It's true. Most, I think people who are going to watch, people who are going to care about the union, are going to care about the union. I think people who understand the magnitude of this game are going to pick the union over the Eagles. My brother-in-law, diehard Eagles fan, just bought tickets for the game uh, coming down to Subaru Park mm. on Sunday. People who know about it and understand the magnitude of it, the people who don't weren't going to watch the game anyway. I think you're right about that, you know, and um, I would just say that I did. I just threw up a quick post on Crossing Broad on Sunday night after the Union won. And, you know, just a couple hours after the Eagles had lost and I do a big like 2000 word Eagles recap every Monday morning. Uh, but, you know, obviously it goes it goes up later. Uh, you know, there's more of a gap between the games there and the it's a pretty popular column. It does. It's always done well over the last couple of years, but there's more engagement on Facebook and social media on the Union post that night which is insane to me because we're we're tradition i mean you know kyle when he started crossing broad films oh, yeah. flyers whatever kind of website so that was that was uh symbolic i think for me interesting for me but uh yeah we'll see i mean if the eagles lose again to the jets it's uh just put them in the bagster and we'll move on from there but hopefully uh we're gonna have good union news to share as well uh richard mcgovern my former uh radio terrestrial radio co-host i appreciate you man where can uh, where can people find you uh, to be honest with you, I'm not published anywhere anymore, but uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you like very strange takes on most things and, uh, you know, interesting union takes. It's at Richard McGovern, M-C-G-O-V-E-R-N. Uh, Appreciate it. Yeah. No, thanks so much for having me on. And hopefully we will be celebrating uh, the union making it to their first MLS Cup final uh, in just a couple of days. I hope so, man. Those words, I still can't believe those words are coming out of anybody's mouth on this program, but but I like it. All right, let's see what you got in the way of questions, comments, and concerns. Oh, it's Dave Zeitlin checking in. Dave Zeitlin says, does Albright, Chris Albright, actually believe he can lure Curtin to Cincinnati, or is he just trying to get Sugarman to give his friend a hefty raise? Right, so if you missed it, there was an article in The Athletic from Sam Stayskull, um that said that uh, since he was was um, trying to trying to pry Jim away from uh, Philadelphia, and uh, they they spend a decent amount of money, right? And so maybe the thought was like, "Hey, come over here. We'll pay you more. We'll give you more dollars to work with." You know, um, I think Chris would not be doing his due diligence if he didn't at least try, uh, you know, to to bring Jim over to Cincinnati with him. But uh, I, I think that Jim would only leave Philadelphia for two jobs. I think the first one is the United States men's national team. I think the second job he would leave for is like a like a Salzburg or something like that, you know, like like follow the path that, that Jesse Marsh went on. And that was something that Jim actually said on record a couple of weeks ago where he was like, I, w- I think he said, quote, I would like to test, test myself in Europe someday. So I don't think since he's uh, in the cards for him, um, but I do think he would go take those other two jobs. Uh, this one's from Jared Young. All the forwards have struggled in the playoffs, to put it mildly. 14 shots, three on target, one goal. Jesus, is it that bad, really? Um, what should they What should they do up top Sunday? What's the plan for both starters and subs? Yeah, so this is what Rick and I were saying. Casper starts for me in the, uh, in the uh, Christmas tree. I bring Sergio on around 55 minutes. I take 
Shabilko off uh, – 60 65 I, I i bump i move the cory burke sub way up if cashper's doing what he's doing i i think the strategy's fine because i don't really know what else they can do other than start um cory you know because shabelko is not going to make a difference off the bench either right so i think you do what you've been doing but you just try to push up that burke sub uh okay it's from matt batdorf uh what are your th- top three villains most hateable players in mls since uh, Tati Castellanos is out, I know this loses some of its flavor, but man, I hate that guy. Yeah, he's a flopper and he's a complainer and a whiner and just like not really a nothing. Nothing he does is like really likable. You know, I don't think he's got a ton of fans. Are there a lot of Castellanos fans out there? You know, something to think about. Um, it used to be Felipe for sure. Felipe from DC and Montreal and Red Bull. You know, he was one of those guys. Uh, Wells Thompson was a guy who annoyed me. <laughs> Remember him, the right back for like. Chicago and New England back in the day. He was just, like, annoying. Um, Raiz and Boley, anybody? Maybe. Um, he could be a guy, too. Yeah, there's some pain in the ass dudes there. Castellanos would probably be on the top for me, you know, just because he's, like, a floppy Mc, McFlopper, you know. Um, from Alex Selden, what's the uh, over-under on cheesesteak or Rocky statue cutaway shots? Um, well, they'll do the cheesesteak for sure. They'll do the Rocky statue. Maybe Boathouse Row will be in there. Maybe we'll get the blimp shot of the uh, of William Penn. You know, maybe we'll get a Comcast tower. They always use the same thing, right? It's like the same. It's like the same shots. It's like when you come, it's like Philadelphia doesn't have anything else to look at besides those. You know. All right, a second one here from Alex. Does MLS prefer having the final in New York for obvious reasons, um, or do they want to avoid the spotlight shining on the joke? of having a team play in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, um that's a good question. What what is the sexiest MLS Cup matchup from a um, like a TV or attention standpoint? I guess it's New York City versus Portland, right? Um but then you have to like have the joke uh you know if if New York could New York could possibly be hosting uh Salt Lake, you know? So it's like you know, you, you want your uh cup final broadcasted everywhere on that joke of a field hopefully not so you know i think union you know having it in portland or having it in chester i think would be certainly be preferable just from sparing yourself the embarrassment of that right um this is from paul it's uh building on your deep dive into the intrusive r yes words that lend uh end in letter a we haven't done that in a while uh here's another linguistics question for always soccer how do the words four for four come to mean I'm a fan of all four major sports. Uh, those three words don't line up for me that way. Can you translate? Um, yeah, Gargano asked me to come on his show uh, about a year ago and explain why I thought that that saying was a crock of shit. And he was just trying, he was just repeating to me. It's like, it's just, he said it's a euphemism that he came up with to mean that like, you just want to support the other teams in town. Um, I told him he needs to update it. Because it just doesn't really like, it's it's archaic. It's it's anachronistic because there are more than you know four teams that people support here. You know, like even even going beyond the four majors in soccer, like I you know I wanted Nova to win like as a neutral. You know, I want I would like to see Temple win if they're in the tournament and they're playing um, like, like Baylor or something like that. You know, so it was just it was just a thing that Anthony came up with back in the day to say that like you. Flyers fans support Sixers fans who support Eagles fans who whatever, you know? So, and then the four for four thing became like a way to kind of exclude union fans, like a little, like, uh, you know, de facto insulting kind of thing. 
you know, five or six or seven years ago or whatever it was. So I, you know, it, 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 that phrase annoys me, but he was trying to tell me that it was not, it's not like, it's not complicated. It's just a blanket term for, for widespread support, I guess. Um, Paul has a comment here. He says there's not enough props given to Ashley Rice, the union's pregame anthem singer extraordinaire. Uh, how can Casper listen to that glorious magic and then go on to play magic free like he does? That's a good point. Yeah, we'll give props to Ashley Rice on this podcast. She's great. Um, I know some people liked I liked having the crowd sing it too. I don't know. Maybe that's a conversation for another time. Alex says I don't think we can risk taking the game to overtime. An early, uh, an early, uh, hu- an early huge would be my game plan. I think that's a typo. An early huge would be my game plan. With that in mind, do you start Santos? No, I don't start Sergio because I think he's more of a difference maker off the bench versus Cashber, who's not. You got three strikers; only two of them can do something off the bench, and that's that's Corey and Sergio. So I'm sticking with that. Um, Walt says, "Re in response to Jim in Cincinnati, is this a scenario where if we win the Cup, Jim unfurls the mission accomplished banner and wants a new challenge? Well, it, it, possibly, but that's but." Since he's not a new, not the, not the challenge, right? The new challenge would be to go to Europe, you know, would be to go to a, a Salzburg or a Genk or, or something like that. Right. So I don't, I, I, I think that what Walt is saying there, the like idea of the new challenge makes a lot of sense, but I don't think that Ohio, Southwestern Ohio is the challenge. Uh, this is from Zach. He says, it seems like the union have a lot of opportunities for set pieces, but the quality has been poor. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Rick and I talked about that. Here's what we're doing for set pieces. Kai Wagner, Daniel Gage, Dog, and Glessness. I don't want anybody else touching them. Uh, Marcus Phillips says, with Castellanos out, who did the union have to focus on to keep a clean sheet? Yeah, we talked about that. They got Tajiri Shradi. They have uh, Tiago as well. Um, I think Haybear, who was really good for them a couple years ago before he got injured, he he's, was sitting on the bench too. So they, they got some pieces. They still have a really good line of three behind whoever goes up there. So... Um, just because uh, Castellanos is out doesn't mean they're not dangerous for sure. They they move the ball really well on that front three, and they'll probably grab some possession from the Union for sure. Um, DJ Edwards, he says, if RSL wins and the U don't have to leave Chester, is the season a failure if they don't win MLS Cup? Uh, I don't think this. I don't think the season is a failure, but that's old. You'd say that they probably would end up losing a game that they should have won because they should beat RSL at home if it comes down to that for sure. But I can't say that the season's a failure by going to the Eastern Conference Finals or the MLS Cup and going to the Champions League semifinal. It's the best season they've ever had regardless. Even regardless of what happens from now moving on, I still think this is the best season they've ever had. And the crazy thing is that I don't, I don't think this union team is as good as last year's union team. You know? But it was just a product of the shortened season and not and you know building up experience and being battle tested and whatnot that's got them to where they are now. John says, "What happened to Matt Real? He didn't even make the bench with one of the starters out. I have no clue what happened to him." Uh, Jim says, "Can the Union actually win this entire thing without a viable striker on the roster?" Yeah. Oh, oh my God, yeah. I mean, like there are some like ugly defensive teams who have what like defense wins championships. Man, it's cliche, but it's true. You know, they got the pieces to do it, even if they got to nick one crappy goal per game. Uh, Connor says it looks like the match sold out in less than 12 hours after, after being officially confirmed to be a home match. Um, has this postseason run done, uh, done more to cement the union in the four for four conversation than everything else in the team's history combined? I would say yes, just for the fact that it's playoffs and, and casual fans understand the playoffs. I can explain the shield 
400 times. They don't know what the fuck the shield is. I can go down to South Philly and tell Tony from South Philly that they went to the finals of the U.S. Open Cup. Tony from South Philly doesn't know what the fuck the Open Cup is. So th- this this is it. This is the thing. This is That's why I keep using that phrase. It's like you're speaking a language that, that the casual fan can understand. Um, it's a good question from EJ. He says, what do you think attendance at the link would be for this if they played this game at the link? Well, the link holds 65,000. I don't think they would pull 65,000 at the link. I think they could pull... F- uh, 40, 45 ish for sure. And that, you know, taking into account New York fans coming down as well. Um, I think if this was a game that was not being played at the same time as the Eagles game, like if you had like Eagles on the road at one o'clock and then you had a union at home at like five or five thirty or something like that, I, you know, I think you get more, I think you get up into the fifties for sure. Um, but it's interesting to think about that for sure. Um, Craig shared a link to a, a YouTube. Uh, was it CBS Sports or CNBC? Somebody somebody did something on like a. Uh, I'll have to share this on Twitter, but somebody did like a like a long form kind of story on the academy and the the union uh, got a lot of praise in this like national story or something. Liam says, "Are they actually going to do this?" I. <laughs> I'm not going to jinx it, but like they got a, the best path in the world in front of them. Uh, hey, we'll. Uh, We'll uh, go to Dennis now with this one. Um, if RSL somehow wins MLS Cup, does Don Garber just hand the trophy to himself since they technically don't have new owners yet? Uh, and if so, would that be the most mls moment in league history? Um, that would be good. You know, maybe he could give it to, like, Kraft or, like, one of the other dudes who was here at the very beginning, and they'll just uh, give it to the de facto next guy on the list. You know, that would be funny, though. They always hand it to the stupid owner, you know, so... If I was an owner, I would refuse to touch the trophy and I would just give it to the coach or the captain or something, you know? Um, Trey Hoffner says, which game this year was the biggest in club history? Uh, Champions League semifinal or conference finals? Hmm. That's a good question, too. I think it depends on what kind of fan you are. For, for, For me, seeing them play Club America at home in the CCL semifinal is the biggest game in team history, you know? Um or, you know, either either like of that, right? Um, conference finals is the biggest in club history for more of the casual, you know, four for four type of fan for sure because I think they just understand that a little bit better. Um, at last one, here's from Dickie Moe. He says, the Union game sold out for the final. Uh, is there any good argument for adding seats to the stadium? Yeah, I mean, they had explored it years ago. Um, you know, attendance is not consistent enough over the regular season that you would you would fill that up uh, enough, you know, consistently. Um, but I don't know. If they win MLS Cup this year and they, they've, you know, add 10,000 new fans and sell 5,000 new tickets or something like that, you could justify it for sure. I, I just think it's risky, you know, because, you know, you want to ensure a string of sellouts before you do something like that, you know, and expand the stadium also. You're looking into the future. Um, is Chester your future? I don't know. You know, only they know. Um, is the future the MLS Cup? We will find out soon. Thank you, as always, for listening. It's always soccer in Philadelphia.